0: Let no one, let no man despise thy youth. Can somebody, by the way, give me a synonym? First of all, can you tell me what a synonym means? Yes, has a similar meaning, the same meaning. What's a synonym for despise? Hate, that's the one we think of. Basically, the Apostle Paul is saying, don't let anyone hate your youth. Not you in particular, but your youth the youth that you carry with you, right? That's the essence of the text. With that being said, let me share some thoughts with you. I am now, uh, within the last couple of years, I've, co- I've come into a new phase in my life. I am now a father. I have, along with my wife, I didn't do it all by myself, but uh, we have this wonderful, beautiful, healthy baby boy, who's just learning to say words, and every day he's got about one or two brand new words for us. One of his favorite words is no, but we're trying to get other words out of him. And and, and, is, and he's becoming his, there's a transition from a little baby that's just kind of a glob of skin and fat and cute, to he's starting to stretch out and elongate and become, you can see facial features of an individual, because all babies kind of look alike, but now he's starting to look like our Henry, you know, where before he was just a baby, you know, but now he's Henry. And And he's starting to... But there are certain things he cannot do for himself yet. In fact, there's most things in life he cannot do for... We have to drive him everywhere. In fact, when he was a baby, we had to like prop him up to sit. We had to do all kinds of things. But now he can walk on his own. He can sit on his own. He can sometimes talk a little bit on his own. He can He can do all kinds of things. But one thing in particular that hit me this week that he cannot do for himself is care for his hair. Okay? Henry cannot care for his hair yet. It's up to his mother and I to cut his hair appropriately. Now, when I was his age, my parents loved my beautiful, I had bright, 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 bright blonde hair, just j- bright white. And, and they thought it was fantastic. And they, 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 they shuddered at the thought of ever cutting it, ever. <laughs> and so year one went by, no haircut. Year two went by, no haircut. Year three went by, no haircut. And finally, my hair was growing down past my shoulders and I was pretty like a lady, you know, it was nice. But I had this blonde, long hair, and it was... And, the, and finally the time came, and they realized, we have to cut the boy's hair, because I wasn't doing it myself, right? Because I'm a little baby. And so they went and cut it, and basically the cu- haircut that I got was kind of like a bowl on my head, you know? And it was pretty weird. And there was a long time in my life where I could not do anything about my hair. I mean, I, I guess I could have just like picked up the scissors and got I didn't think of it. It n- never dawned on me that I had control over my own head. Right? They did that to me. What I looked like, what I, the impression that I made on the world, which by the way, when my hair was long and blonde, the impression that I made on a lot of the world was that, what a cute little girl. Right? <laughs> right? There was a time when people looked at me and thought I was something different than what I was and I had no control over it. You know, until, and then they gave me the bowl haircut, and people thought other things about me. Like I, but finally, there came a time in my life, which I'm so glad my son has not come to yet, but I'm praying for the Lord's patience and mercy whenever he does get to this phase, when he can choose for himself the haircut. He can choose for himself the clothing. He can choose for himself. The music. He can choose for himself the reading material. He can make his own decisions. He can ex- exercise his own freedoms. He can have a, an independence from his parents that can, he can choose what to do with his own head. Okay? Which for us, of course, at this age, of course you can choose what to do with your own head. But that's a, that's a brand new idea that my son does not have yet. Please don't tell him. Right? He does not know. And I want him to come into that really slowly. But I re- as I grew up, there came a time, somewhere in elementary school, somewhere around there, that I started choosing how I was going to cut my own hair. And I started choosing not only that, but I started choosing who I would hang out with and uh, what kind of words I would listen to and what kind of words would come out of me and what kind of music would go into me and what kind of things. And I started to choose who I was. I started to choose who I was. Now... This seems like a very, very novel thing, but there were some, I, I did some experimentation. I didn't know who I would. I didn't know what I wanted to be yet, and so I kind of experimented with some looks. Right? For instance, there was a time when I wanted to be a skateboarder. <laughs> okay, Aubrey, you're already laughing. Some of you are chuckling. Some of you, did you know that there's a certain haircut that sometimes goes with skateboarders? Right? Can someone describe it for me? Yeah, a lot of people long, kind of shaggy, kind of it, it hangs in your face. You have to do this a lot, you know, and and you can barely see. You know, there's a kind of a look to it. Some people are smiling because they know someone, they are someone, or they can see someone, and we're not whatever. But you know what I'm talking about. Whenever I, as soon as I say skateboarding, you had a picture in your head of a haircut, didn't you? It's incredible. It's incredible. Okay. Then I went through some other phases. I, I, honestly, I look back at the pictures now and I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was aiming for. There was a time when I cut all the hair on one side off, kind of, and all the other side was long. And I really, that was just, a, I, apparently I was aiming to be a mistake. That was, that was a problem. Um, there was a time when I wanted to be like a, a rock star, you know, and I dyed my hair blonde and, and I did different colors in my hair. That's odd. Um, there... But all of these things, I was trying to figure out which thing I wanted to be like, which group I wanted to aim for. And that not only affects, of course, your hair, it affects your clothing, it affects your music, it affects everything about you. You choose. I'm going to set my course that way and I'm going to mold myself into that image. Right? There's a kind of a, a look, there's a kind of a personality, there's a kind of character, you might say, that you're aiming for to develop. Now a fun thing that I like to do with some students sometimes and I think we have the time to do it today. What I'm going to do here is on the board, for those of you listening to Audioverse, you're really missing out right now because <laughs> this is going to be visual, okay? I'm going to take this pen and I'm going to draw very artistically the best that I can. That's so beautiful. Thank you, thank you. As you can tell, I was an art major. But what I need now is, well, I'm going to say something, and, and, all right, how should we do this exactly the best? I need a volunteer. Whoa, whoa, fantastic. Your eyes just lit up. Thank you. You, young, what's your name, young man? Joshua, come on up here. Joshua, come up here. Take this pen, and I'm going to ask you because right now, you couldn't tell me anything about this stick figure except that it's poorly drawn. Okay? <laughs> yeah. You don't know anything about his interests, his tastes, his, his friends. You don't know anything about his music. You don't know anything about his lifestyle at all, except for he now exists. I have theoretically brought him into existence. Now, what I'd like you to do is I'm going to give you one piece of information, and I want you to change his appearance. Okay? Oh. What we know about this stick man, we know now one thing, and here it is. He likes country music. Go. Okay. Hey, take some suggestions. That's fine. What? What? Jeans. I heard cowboy hat. I heard what else? Jeans, Jeans. boots. boots. What? Okay. All right. All right. We got the we got the hat. Okay. What else? We got a shirt that was plaid. Ugly and plaid. Ugly and plaid. Okay. All right. Cool okay. 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 Jeans. Guitar. Jeans. Perfect. Perfect. He's getting there. because he but I've heard boots. I've heard a plaid shirt. I've heard a cowboy hat. I've heard uh, blue jeans. Apparently, a rope or a lasso, perhaps. A belt buckle, right? Right. The size of Texas itself. Yes, a great big. Okay, an odd-looking tie. All right, you're doing very, very well here. That's perfect. Excellent. 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 All right, we'll give you about five more seconds. Five, four, three two, one. All right. Thank you so much, Joshua. Can you say amen for Joshua's volunteer spirit? Thank you. Now, this one is into country music. All right. And again, we've got the big hat. We've got the plaid shirt. We've got the belt buckle. We've got the blue jeans. Apparently, there were going to be some boots. But there's a, a look goes along with that lifestyle. Does that make sense? Let's do it again. Can I have another volunteer who wants to... Oh, this one lit up. All right, here we go. We're going to get a lady this time. That's no problem. Here we go. An equally artistically drawn individual. This time, we're going to change one thing. Just one thing. This person also likes music, okay, but we don't know what kind yet, but I'm about to tell you. This person now likes, instead of country music, this person likes hip-hop music. Go ahead. Take take some... All right, I'm hearing a whole lot of things. I heard... All right, there is a hat, but is it a cowboy hat? No, 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 not a cowboy hat. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ball cap that's kind of worn in a different... Okay. Sunglasses are on. Excellent, excellent. Sideways hat. Oh, oh what, what is she putting here? What is this? A big metal chain, right? A, 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 a necklace with a big emblem on it. Okay. Okay, all right. Okay. Good, 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 good. All right. Tell me about their pants. What kind of pants would they wear? Big baggy pants, right? Okay. Whoa. And apparently made out of wool. That's nice. Yeah, that's good. Excellent, excellent. All right. Apparently a big, big pants and tight, tight shirt. Okay, okay. And maybe just right hip up. All right. These are are getting better. All right. Five, four three, two, one. Oh, and, oh, that's a good tip. Explain to us what, it, what, by the way, what's your name? Rachel. Rachel. What did you just, what was that? And with one second remaining, you just had put the icing on the cake. What did you just do right there? Oh, Made him try to look. What was the word? Angry. angry. Thank you. Did you notice that, the, that not only is it a look, but it's also an attitude, right? It's like angry, right? Yeah, and and there, there's gestures and stuff with go with. There's, there's, there's ways that you carry your body, ways that you contort your face to let you know the kind of lifestyle you're into. I look like this, you know. You would not look at this man and think, oh, you like country music. <laughs> look at that. You're already laughing at the absurdity of such a suggestion. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. All right. Yeah, We need one more volunteer. All right. You, have, you were picked on by other people in the back. Come on up here now. This is your day of vengeance. All right. Let, let me think. Let me think. What's another good one? What's the... Um... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let, let's think. Um... Okay, let's try it. I've never done that one before. I heard a suggestion. We're going to try it. This is an experiment. Here we go. They like classical music. I've heard top hat and wig. I've heard top hat and wig a tuxedo, a top hat, a bow tie, perhaps. Okay. 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 That's a suit I'm looking at. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we got a bow tie. We've got a full length suit. That's what he's going for. Some, some tuxedo tails there. In fact, all the way up. carrying a violin is that what I'm looking at? Very nicely done. it carries a curly mustache okay This is a very interesting caricature we're drawing. okay All right but all right let's wrap this one up in five four, three, two, one. thank you so much all right now. Thank you. Very well done. What was your name, sir? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. All right, we have Joshua and Nehemiah and Rachel, all biblical names. You have good parents, every one of you. Well, Now, um, I don't know what that says about me because I named my son Henry and that's not particularly in scripture, but country music, hip-hop music, classical music. The only thing that changed with all of them was one word apiece. All of them were like music and that was the only thing we knew. And we just changed the type of music. We tweaked one thing and noticed it set their entire look, their entire persona, their entire appearance to the world was changed with that one word. Country music, hip-hop music, and classical music. And I th- find it fascinating, since we've done this experiment here, that the classical music person dressed up. In fact, we think every hoity-toity thing you could think of, from a top hat to a crazy mustache to a, uh, Not just a suit and tie, but like a tuxedo with tails, you know? And, you know it just really really decked out, right? Because that's the influence of the music. Now, this is not a, a seminar about music, but I'm telling you that you already know that different lifestyles, different interests present a different persona to the world. Does that make sense? Now, would you say that it was judgmental what you just did, that you were judging people? I would disagree with you. First of all, stick- have we said anything about whether they're good or bad or anything like that or whether they're going to heaven or the alternative? You know? No. You used a magic word. What was the word? Stereotype. How many of you, raise your hand, know the word stereotype. What does it mean? Somebody give me a working definition of stereotype. Yes, you over here. We, we're over here too much. Go ahead. Now you are the one who said it's not judging, okay? But a stereotype means to to judge. Assume things about someone based on something. Okay, maybe maybe it's not judgmental, but to make an assumption about someone based on something something else, okay? Like for instance, their appearance, maybe their hair, maybe their hat, maybe their clothes, maybe their something about them, or you could just hear about them. For instance, you never met the stick figure before right this was your first but the first time you heard country music you already had some stereotype they got a hat they got jeans they got boots they got belts right that just came out of you it's fascinating how that works it's fascinating how that works did you know that in our society today that young people and youth itself has a stereotype that goes along with it. Let me, let me tell you another little story. I, I do weeks of prayers for academies and elementary schools pretty regularly. And oftentimes what they'll do is they'll break down. You don't just go and do one presentation because sometimes you'll have like kindergartners all the way up to 12th grade. And not the same, like I could not have this dialogue with kindergartners and first graders. And there's a certain age group that you can talk at a certain level. And the schools understand that because they're, they're good at what they do. They understand that there's different physiological levels and they different comprehension levels. And so they break it down. And so what they end up doing is i will end up doing, like, say, three weeks of prayers at the same time. And so you start off with the kindergarten through, like, fourth grade, right? Then you have, like, sixth through eighth or fifth through eighth. You don't do anything for the fifth graders. The fifth through eighth graders, right? And then you have the 9th through 12th, the high school week of prayer. And so you'll have this span of K through 12, but it's broken down into several different subsets based on their age and therefore the idea that they are going to be reached and talked to in a certain way. And usually when I do them, I'll bring a guitar and I have a song service with them. And you know what? I absolutely love. Nothing starts your day off better than like... 7 30 in the morning, going to that K through 4 group and just singing some songs. You cannot get those kids to be quiet. They will sing, and they're excited about it. After day one, they're like, Pastor down. let's go. Hi. They're just completely open. They're so excited. They want to hug you and give you a high five. So just, oh, they want to sing the next song and another song and another song. And another. They love to sing. It's great. Then, when my 30 minutes with them is up, I go to the 5th through 8th graders. (laughs) Several of you just kind of went, oh, yeah. yeah." Because you know what happens. You don't walk into the 5th through 8th grade room and find like, oh, I passed the grade. It's like... I'm like, good morning, boys. How you doing? Why? And and what happens, and it's interesting, it's about the same time in life that I started to learn about cutting my own hair. Happens to everyone about the same time in life. You start to think about your image. You start to think about how you appear to other people. You start to think about... The mark you're making in the world and what you look like and the course you're going to set and the person you're going to be and that thing you want to mold yourself after. You're trying to create yourself. And so we're very conscious that no one thinks that I'm excited about a silly kid song because i am be a silly kid and I don't want to be that. And I, no one thinks that I'm too into this. or too. So what we end up doing is just kind of you know, aiming for this ethereal, nebulous, vague, unidentified thing called cool, which does not exist, by the way. It's an oasis, it's a figment, it's a vapor, it, it, it doesn't, it's not real. But we're so certain that we're getting there, right? And so what happens is, have you ever noticed that cool people kind of project themselves in a certain way too? One of the most consistent stereotypes I've seen is that young people trying to be cool always kind of look bored or asleep, right? If you're cool, you're not actually interested in what's going on up front, because only uncool people... So if you want to demonstrate your coolness, you'll completely disregard what's around you, right? So, and you want to look a little bit, because eyes wide open and blinking and happy, that's an innocent young person, you're not that person, so you're kind of like, close your eyes about halfway... Right? And if you're up against a wall, you're going to lean on the wall. Like. It's funny because it's true. Right? And your mouth kind of gapes open you just look at people. <laughs> right? You walk into something, you have no idea what it is, but you know you dislike it already and it bores you. <laughs> right? And people look like, oh my word, that person is so cool. <laughs> they can't stand anything we're doing. They must be the best. You no. Know? And so song service, let's all stand and sing. No. You know? <laughs> Do you like that one song? No. You know? <laughs> Nothing. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is wrong or immoral. What I'm saying is it's incredibly uncanny how it happens to everyone right about that 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade time. Paul was growing old when he wrote these words, and not necessarily old as in necessarily chronologically old, just getting older, but he was getting worn out from his ministry. He, he started to, he wanted to always pass the baton to younger people who would take up the ministry and do what he did, and Paul was bold for the truth. Paul was persecuted for the faith. He was he was, he, was, he was been shipwrecked a couple of different times in his life. He was beaten repeatedly. He's been cast out. He's been, he stood up in Athens against the philosophers. He reasoned in the synagogues with the Jewish leaders. He would speak to this group and to that group, to the, the educated, the poor. He was a tent maker. He, was, he had a vast range of experience. He was brilliant, too, by the way. He was a multilingual scholar. He was a writer. He was a traveler. He was a church leader. He, he, was, he was just... An awesome character, but he started to be poured out, as he said, like a drink offering. And he was being persecuted. And he knew that his time would not last long. And he started training up younger people to take the ministry. One of them was Timothy. Timothy, completely different background. Timothy was much younger than Paul. And apparently he had a spirit of timidity. He was kind of shy. He wasn't kind of stepping forward. He was a little bit reserved. He was concerned about what people think of him. And Paul writes this counsel in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 to this young Timothy. Let's look at it again. He's about to send him off into ministry. And he realizes that, well, we'll we'll break this text down. He said, let no one despise your what? Youth. Youth. The youngness that you possess. Your youth. Let no one despise that but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. What I want to do is explore this text and then do a Bible study from it and see what the Bible says about what young people could or should be doing for the Lord instead of just sitting around trying to be cool. Right? That God has an ideal for you, has a plan for you, has an object for your life that Satan wants to blind you to, by the bedazzling, shiny things of this world, okay? Notice the text again. He doesn't say, don't let anyone look down on you because you are dumb. He doesn't, because Timothy wasn't dumb. He was just young. Let no one despise your youth. Look carefully at the text. Look carefully at the text, First Timothy four twelve. Who are these people that might possibly look down on him because of his youth, who might despise his youth. It says, older people, you might think that, and that makes sense because they would be older looking at their youth, but specifically in the text, who does it say? The believers. He says, let no one despise thy youth, but set an example for the believers. This means that these are the godly good people in the church, the believers would be expecting an experienced, charismatic Paul. And in walks young Timothy. And apparently their first thought might be like, ah, look, he's so young. Which implies to me that apparently there was a stereotype about young people that would not be necessarily admirable that perhaps in that day and age, which perhaps is not so different than our day and age, young people were not necessarily thought of as the most responsible leaders. Perhaps, just perhaps, there was a youth culture of that time that already stacked the deck against young Timothy. So he says, hi guys, I'm Timothy, I'm only this many years old. They were looking and like, oh man, you're just so young. And Paul says, don't let that happen. As if to say, it's going to happen unless you stop it. It's a foregone conclusion. Unless you change something, their impression of youth is not good and you're going to fit into it. In fact, here's what he says here. So instead, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, or let no one despise your youth, but do what? Be what? An example. Oftentimes, when we think we've been mistreated, instead of bucking the stereotype and being something different, we'll do the exact opposite. We'll confirm the stereotype. For instance, if they said, oh man, you're just so young and immature, what would be the worst thing he could do? I think it would be to pout and complain. I am not young, I am not immature, take it back. (laughs) And they would say, see, that's my point. That's what we were afraid of. Your behavior just confirmed our stereotype. He says, don't let them look down on you, but here's how you diffuse that stereotype. you be different than what they expect. You set an example that they're not used to seeing. You demonstrate in your lifestyle, in your behavior, in the person you are, in your very character, that you are not the stereotype they were expecting. Does that make sense? Let no one despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers. And he lists off several areas in the way you talk, in speech, in life. And the way you just carry yourself, the way you walk, the way you behave, the way everything about you, don't let it confirm the negative stereotype. I have some personal experience with this. I know that every subgroup of people, whether it's young people, old people, whatever, every every nationality, all kinds of groups of people have different stereotypes about them. Some that are positive, but many of them that are negative, not positive stereotypes. I will give you an example of one that I have lived with in my life. Now, you may not tell it from the way that I speak, but I'm actually from the South, okay? I'm from the, su- the Southern quadrant of the United States of America, the Deep South, you know, Kentucky, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, Florida, that kind of Southern. I like Southern food, right? The one word everybody knows, y'all, right? <laughs> yes, I occasionally drift back into a y'all. It's in there, Right? But I know what the American consciousness, in fact, perhaps even the global mindset is of people from the South. In fact, if you were to, which you should never do, but if you were to maybe characterize someone who was unintelligent, think about it. What accent would you give them? That's right, you give them a Southern accent, Right? Right? You're like, oh, yeah, that, that's what dumb people sound like, yeah, because they're from the South, right? right? That's what people think of, you know, and, and, and people think of, when, and I said, if all they knew about me was a stick figure that said, Hi, I'm from the South, you'd automatically start dressing me different. You'd start, hey, you'd, if I had a car, you'd put a NASCAR sticker on it, Right? Because obviously I like race car drivers. And, and, and I like country music because that's... I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, right? Of course I like country music, which I don't necessarily like country music. But it doesn't matter because I'm from the South and I'm from Nashville, so everybody thinks you do. And, 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 and you've got these negative stereotypes. But it's been sometimes a challenge. You know, like people might hear about that, and they're like, they might have some assumptions about that that you have to overcome sometimes. And... So the South thing is just one of many. You can think of, like we've done here, different groups have different looks, different attitudes, different attributes and qualities associated with them. But the real question, if we drew a stick figure, and I said def- describe the qualities, attributes, the appearance perhaps the, of a Christian, What would that look like? What would it sound like? What would the expectation be of someone who claimed to follow Christ? What about a young Christian? Let me show you something. This New Testament thing of Paul trying to say, don't let them look down on you because you're young. I know that they're in the church. They're going to expect less of young people. And by the way, I think far too many times the low expectations that people have of young people are confirmed by young people. Okay? For instance, young people are never expected to pay attention in meetings. And lo and behold, too often they don't. Am I telling some truth? Okay? Oftentimes, young people like I just talked about, that 5th through 8th grade kind of range, and maybe even older into high school, are kind of expected to be disrespectful and cool. And far too often they are. And all you're doing is confirming the negative stereotype. Young people don't show up on time. And sure enough, they show up late to stuff. No. Whatever the thing, you can think about it and you know that too often it's true. Paul said, when you walk into that place... They're going to expect you to be that you know, note-passing, giggling, not-paying-attention, disrespectful young person. And every time you do it, you're confirming that stereotype. And he said, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare do that. In fact, what I was going to tell you is this is not nearly the first time in the Bible when that has occurred. Go back to the book of Jeremiah. If you find the book of Isaiah, just go one book to the right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the very first chapter, where God calls and expects great things from a young person. But what's interesting is that young person doesn't expect those great things from himself. And let's see here. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting with verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So the Lord comes to young Jeremiah and he says, I have known you. I've had my eye on you. I've had a plan for you for before you were you. And I've been waiting for this day. And now I have come to you to give you this ministry. I've set you apart. I have ordained you for a specific purpose. And he's giving him this pep talk, this challenge, this, this ordination service. I have set you apart. I've appointed you for this work. Go to work. And notice what Jeremiah says. Verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Notice that Jeremiah is literally talking back to the Lord and his excuse for not wanting to do things, not being able to speak for the Lord, not being able to accomplish the purpose that God has for him is because he's a youth. Some versions translate that correctly. Because I'm too young. Notice Jeremiah had a low expectation. He said maybe the implication is, if, if I was older, if I were older, I could do this. If I were more mature, if I was more experienced, if I had more education, if I was later in life, if I was different in that respect, if I was not so young, I could work for you. But Lord, I can't speak because I am a youth. And you know what I praise the Lord for? The God doesn't turn to him and say, oh yeah, oh my bad. And that's the end of the book of Jeremiah, right? It's one little half chapter where God's like, oh, you you are young, never mind. I can't do things with young people. Thank you for the reminder, Jeremiah. And he walks away. Of course not, look at, but I do love that the Lord didn't just come. Look at the Lord's response. By the way, don't ever sass the Lord because he will come back. And talk to you. I mean, look at the book of Job. Why is this happening? Woe is me. And God comes down and says, Brace yourself like a man. I will ask you questions and you will answer me after 37 chapters of this. Now I've got a few. Were you there when I created the world? And Job's all like, "Uh." (laughs) God's like, I'm not done yet. And he goes on and on. God can talk to us pretty straightly. And I praise the Lord for that. God doesn't beat around the bush. He says, this is what I expect from you. I created you. Don't come to me with what... Well, watch. I don't put words in the Lord's mouth. Look what the Lord actually says. But the Lord said to me, verse seven, "Do not say I am a what? Youth. Youth. Don't say I'm now." Is the Lord saying, "Look, don't say I'm a youth? Lie, right? (laughs) Tell people you're older." Is that what the Lord is saying here? (laughs) Of course not. What does He mean by "Don't say I am a youth"? What does He mean by that phrase? Think about it. Don't think you're too young. Don't use your youth as an excuse not to do what I ask you to do. Wouldn't that be great if you could just use that as an excuse for everything in life? Go clean your room. Oh, mom, I can't clean my room for I am a youth. <laughs> right? Do you think she would say like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. You're too. Let me do it for you. Oh my word, if I ever told my mom, I, you know, no, because I'm too, oh my, I can't even imagine. <laughs> that would be bad, right? That would be a bad news. But this is literally, the guy, the Lord, I don't want to say the guy, the Lord formed him from the womb. And he says, I've built you for this purpose. Now go make me proud. Go do a work. Go do this thing. And he says, No. Because I'm a youth, and you know how youth are. We can't do things. Right? That's the implication of the statement, and God rejects the premise of the objection. Notice he says, "Don't say that I'm a youth. Don't use that as an excuse to me. He says, "Do not say that I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak." If I give you a message, if I give you an insight, if I give you something to say, you will say it. And here was apparently the key issue. Why? I think we get a little psychological insight into Jeremiah's mind here. But why did he not want to go, especially as a young person, and do the work that the Lord had cut out for him? Notice verse 8. The Lord seems to address it. Do not be afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He says, Jeremiah, I know what you're afraid of. I'm a, I know you're afraid of the looks that people will give you. You're afraid of facing those older people. You're afraid of fra- facing those more mature, experienced, longer-lived individuals. In fact, if you go through the book of Jeremiah, he has some pretty bad news to deliver to those older people. And he says, I know you don't want to do this. But I'm with you to deliver you. So don't use youth as an excuse. I know the real problem is you're afraid and you don't need to be afraid because I'm here with you. Don't worry about how you look in front of them. You should worry about how you are in front of me. Mm. Now look what the Lord says. Verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I have put my words in your mouth. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I told you we we're going to do a Bible study. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the faith chapter, the hall of faith, if you will. In this you start to see, I mean, just scanning down, you see this same two-word phrase, by faith, and then it'll say someone did something. By faith, like for instance verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so he did not see death. Uh, verse 7, by faith, Noah, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, verse 9, by faith, verse 11, by faith. You see that there's a repetition here. These are examples of faith, faithful people. And then in the middle of it, it explains their faith. And I think this is fascinating. I think it's instructive for young people even today. If, uh, Hebrews 11, starting with verse 13. After the list of all those people he just talked about, he says, These all died in faith. Makes sense, because it's the faith chapter. Not having received the promises, right? Not one of those people lived past this world, except for, of course, Enoch. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Noah, the whole lot of them. They all died. Not seeing Jesus come again. Not getting that heavenly inheritance. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off. Notice they set their eye way out there in the distance. And they saw, by faith, this plan of God, this promise of God. Notice what they did. They saw, having seen them, the promises of God, afar off, were assured of them. They had faith in them, were confident, them, they were assured of them, embraced them, like wrapped their arms around those promises, said, this is my promise, I trust the Lord, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Notice the process here. This is apparently what a life of faith looks like. They saw the promises of God, even though it wasn't realized in their own lives, but they saw it afar off. They knew it was coming. They were confident in their Savior. And because of that, they wrapped their arms around those promises and they set their life on that course and they confessed that they were strangers here because apparently they were citizens of a kingdom there. Notice this. They did not blend in with this world because they had their eyes set on a better world. And God says that's what they did by faith. They didn't just kind of look around the world and try to pick their own thing and just kind of live here. They, weren't, they didn't care about their faces here. They cared about the face of Jesus who dwells there. And by faith, they set their life course to pursue that higher standard. It goes on. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And notice this. And, if, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, Right. if though they had set their eye of faith on the future and the coming Savior and they, they wanted to live as citizens of a better place, a kingdom of heaven, yet, in the midst of that, they kind of set their mind on that place that they had come out of. Notice what would have happened. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Right? So you're either going to be a citizen of that kingdom or you're going to be a citizen of this kingdom. And he said, by faith, all those heroes of old live that way. And he said, if their minds had been here, if their heart had been here, if their their, their whole attitude was still here, they would not have gone there. They would not have, by faith, put their eyes there. Can you think of anyone in the Bible, by the way, who did not make it into the hall of faith, that was called out to go to a better country, but their heart was still in that city where they... Anybody? Who are you thinking about? No? David? No? Nope. David? Nope. Uh-huh. Lot's wife, thank you very much. The angel of the Lord said, here's a better place. This place is going to literally be destroyed. You've got to get out of here. And they were physically going this way, but her heart was back there, and she took her eyes off. She perished because of it. These people did not do that. But now, verse 16, they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. And this is the kicker of the whole thing. Therefore, because they have their eyes clearly set on Jesus, they don't care about this world, they just want to be good citizens of that world. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Wouldn't that be a marvelous thing for God to say about you? I am not ashamed to be your God. In fact, I'm downright proud of you. You obviously belong to me. You have confessed my name before people here on earth and I'm going to confess your name in front of my Father and in front of all the angels. I'm not ashamed to be your God. What a powerful thought. And what's amazing to me is that this is what Honestly, this this time in your life is all about, for so many people, I know it was for me, caring what other people thought of you. Who do I want to be proud of? Who who, who do I want to be close to? Who do I want looking at me and saying, I'm not ashamed of them, they're with me, right? I'm with this group of people, I'm with that group of people, I'm with this clique of friends, whatever it is, God says, why don't you live a life that who cares what they think of you down here? Why don't you care what I think of you up here? And if you, do, I'm not ashamed to be your God, but why are you so ashamed of me? I think there's too many Christians who look like this or this or this or this or this, or this whatever the thing is, you know, because they're trying to live like this world. And They've taken their eyes off of the real world where we're headed. They want to be cool. They want to be popular. They want whatever the thing is. And God's like, "Why don't?" I mean, I'm calling you to this world. Why is your heart back there? Mm. It's a tough thought. Kind of hit me square in the eyes when I first heard it too. By the way, let me show you something really fascinating. Go to the book of Ephesians. We're going to take off our floaties and dive into the deep end for just a minute. Okay? Ephesians chapter 3. It's that in the little po- pocket of books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right there in the middle. Ephesians chapter 3, there in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, again, describing his ministry. And if you were to ask 99% of the people out there, they would say that the Apostle Paul, his job description was he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a great early church missionary, which is all true he was. In fact, he says so much. Ephesians chapter 3 and starting with verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you'd expect that sentence to end right there that this was the, the grace that the Lord has given me to preach His message to the Gentiles. But, he said, there's another thing. And this is the deeper thing. And, he said, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent. Now, all of that was a pretty complicated thing, but I want you to look at verse 10 very closely. To the intent that now the manifold, and that just means complicated, multifaceted, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Let me break this down. Okay? Apparently, Paul was saying there is a wisdom of God, there is some knowledge of God, there's some wisdom of God that he's trying to make known or teach to a certain group of people. Look at the text very closely. Who is God trying to teach? He wants to make this wisdom known to whom? What's it say right there in the Bible in verse 10? Notice it says, by the church, but to whom? Somebody's mumbling it. What is it? The principalities and powers. Where are these principalities and powers? In the heavenly places. Where does God live, Christianity one oh one? Where does God live? In heaven. in heaven. Thank you. In heavenly places, if you will. Where does He want to? Where are the people living who He wants to teach this lesson to? What does it say right there in the text? In heavenly places, right? The principalities, powers in heavenly places. God lives in heaven. They live in heaven, and He wants to teach them something. So why doesn't he just turn to them and explain it to them, right? There's something about me you need to know. Therefore, blah, 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 blah. And just teach. But apparently there's some wisdom of God that he just can't say it, and they would get it. You know, there's some things you ever hear about, you have to see it to believe it. You ever heard that phrase? People can tell you all about the Grand Canyon. It's really big, Right? And it's deep, and it's dry, and it's hot. Oh, and it's rocks. Oh, my goodness, the rocks. You've never seen so many red rocks and lines in the rocks. And if you just describe it like that, you're like, huh? But when you go there, you're like, oh, look at the rock. Oh, and and you start using the same words. It's so big, and it's so deep. And you realize that without seeing it, those words just don't really have the same impact. They don't really have the power. You don't really experience it for yourself unless you see it. Apparently, there's some wisdom of God that he wants to teach the other heavenly beings. But he wants to teach it, not with just words, but he wants to show it to them. And how is he going to show his wisdom to these heavenly beings? What method is he going to use? It's right there in the text. By what means? By the? Somebody whispered it. Church? Yes. Apparently, notice the text now. There's some wisdom of God he wants to make known by the church to those in heavenly realms. So instead of just turning them and explaining them, he says, in fact, there's a wisdom about me that I need you to see in them. Let me tell you something, young people. It's not just other adults in the church who are watching you. And trust me, they want to see some confident Godly young people. But more than just the other believers in the church, did you know there's an entire universe watching you? And apparently they're going to learn from you something about God that he couldn't just explain by just saying it to them. It's a powerful thought. That they're looking at you to learn something. So here's my question for you. What are you teaching the universe about God by the way that you're living? Mm. What a crazy thought. Go to the book of Job. Let me give you an example. The Bible gives us an example of this onlooking universe watching what happens here on earth. Right before the book of Psalms, you'll find the little book of Job. It's not particularly that little. But here in Job chapter 1, right at the very beginning, what I want you to notice is something really neat. Job chapter 1, everybody thinks, or not everybody thinks, that's a blanket statement. A lot of people in the Christian world think that Job is just about this poor guy who suffered some terrible things, and at the end, God made it all better, right? And we all talk about the patience of Job, the endurance of Job, the suffering of Job. But let me tell you something, Job is not all about Job, even though it's named after him, you know? Apparently, the book of Job just uses Job as a tool to teach something about God. Watch this now. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So apparently, God, by the way, this is, when you get to heaven, it's not going to be just like, Anarchy, where you get to do whatever you want to do, ride on the, the clouds, you know, swim with a dolphin, slide down giraffe necks, that kind of thing. You just, anything, you, there's no schedule, there's no timekeeping, you can eat as much as you want, go anywhere you want. It's, apparently it's not like that. Apparently there are meetings and schedules and calendars even in heaven. <laughs> Some young people are like, no. <laughs> now I don't even know if I want to, go. I have to show up on time to stuff in heaven? Yes. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So apparently God had a committee, and there's these sons of God, which we could do a whole Bible study on, but I'm going to cut to the chase. I believe that those sons of God are representatives of other worlds, just like Adam was the son of God created in the image of God, and he was given dominion over this world. I think there's good biblical evidence to tell us that these are other guys like Adam who show up at this council meeting Yet, instead of Adam showing up, apparently according to the text, who showed up in his place? Satan. And how do we know they're from different places? Well, look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? As if all these other people came from different places. Hi, I'm, and I don't want to make up some sort of weird sci-fi name, but I'm somebody from some planet, whatever, you know. And I'm somebody from planet something else. And they went through roll call. And he gets down to Adam's spot and there's Satan. He's like, I know your name already. Where are you coming here from today? And notice his answer. He says to the Lord. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. I'm not confined to the tree anymore. They let me out. By the way, they like me more than they like you. They obeyed my word instead of your word. They disobeyed you and they gave the keys, the dominion, the, the deed to the place is mine now. I run it. I go anywhere I want. The earth is mine. And I'm guessing all the other sons of God are like, oh, he just sassed God? Right? And notice that the Lord does not just grab Satan and choke him, or hit him, or cast him out, which, you know, you think about those times, man, if I were the Lord, what I would do to the, mm, but that's not what the Lord does. Look at verse eight. How does the Lord handle this Satan situation? He says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Give me some synonyms for consider. What's another word for consider? Thought Thought about. What's another one? think. Okay, that's a derivative of thought. or right, there's a related. Acknowledge. Okay, ponder, mull over. Have you even stopped to consider? Have you thought about Job? You just made this big claim that you run the whole world, yet except down there. And he didn't just say, have you considered Job? What does he call Job? He said, have you considered my servant, Job? As if to say, the rebel against your cause, the one who's still loyal to me. Have you even thought about him? Have you considered my servant, Job? Notice what he says here. That there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered, by the way, Satan did not like this answer of the Lord. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Notice he's like, sure, I acknowledge he does fear you and, he, and he's loyal to you. and not, But you know why he's loyal to you? Because you pay him to be. He's not, you don't think he's doing it for nothing, do you? He's he's paying you off. You bless him. Look at all his kids. Look at all his land. Look at all his wealth. Look at all the joy that you give him. Look at all the blessings. You take that stuff away and he's going to curse you to your faith. He says, make the decision fair. Notice the implication that God is unfair and that only people would like him if he gives them stuff. He says, you make it fair. You take away all those blessings. And he will curse you to your face. And what strikes me about this is not necessarily what Satan's accusations are, not necessarily what God's defense is, but these other sons of God. Even poor, crazy, mixed up, prejudiced Peter in the garden when Jesus was come to be arrested and taken away to his crucifixion, what was Peter's response to Jesus being taken captive? What did he do? Right. He drew the sword and swung it And he cut off the servant's ear. Malchus was his name. Even Peter, misguided though he was, and impetuous and and, and rash, he at least had the gut instinct to defend God when he's being attacked. Right? And lucky for Malchus, he has bad aim, but I mean, the good thing for Malchus is Jesus was there, so even if he had landed the blow squarely, Jesus could have raised him right back to life as as easy as he could remake an ear. But at least Peter had the instinct to defend Christ. But look at this, Satan here is in the council room of God and he's saying that God is not fair, that Job does not like you, I run the earth, they won't love you. This is a big accusation. And what blows me away about the story is that there's these sons of God and unlike Peter, they do nothing. They don't say, hey, Satan, get on out of here. No, we, we no, no, no. They don't say, that's not nice. You, be, you take it back. They don't swing a sword and try to cut off Satan. Maybe they should. I don't know. You know. Nothing. God calls the meeting. Satan's there. God says, where do you come from? He says, from the earth. God says, blah, blah. have you considered my servant Job? Job says this. And it's like they're at a tennis match. You know, like back and forth. Not one word do they say. It's almost as though like, Lord, we trust you. We believe you. But he has raised some valid questions. And as much as you could say to us, no, trust me, what if God just turned and said, look, Satan's just telling lies, trust me, it's untrue. God's word would have been true, but there's something more than words. They needed to see a demonstration of faithfulness of what God could do through people on the earth. Does that make sense? They needed to, if you will, to see the Grand Canyon for themselves. Because God's going to say, no, 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 my grace can change people, even though he claims to run the world and the world is full of sin and stuff like that. But did you know that people can be saved? That people can be transformed back into the image of a loyal a creature of mind that they can actually change? And apparently the sons of God, take God at his word, but they needed to see a demonstration of the evidence in the life of Job. Friends, the universe is watching right now. To see, because by the way, when Jesus died on the cross, they know, you could look this up in Desire of Ages. They were done listening to the accusations of Satan. When they saw that Satan was a cold-blooded murderer and he would kill Jesus, the sinless man himself, they said, "You're never, you're never coming to our meetings again." God doesn't have to kick you out. We're just not listening anymore. Jesus answered their arguments about the character of God and the character of Satan. The question now is, because God's like, good, now that you believe me, right, now that you fully trust me, I want to bring some of them right back here to live in heaven. And I'm guessing there's some people up in heaven, those council members from Planet What's-and-So and and -and Place-and-Place, maybe Gabriel, who knew Lucifer and watched the whole fall happen, has seen sin literally decimate heaven, And God turns to Gabriel and says, I'm going to bring some of those early teens from ASI 2012 right back here, and I'm putting them in the palace right next door to you. Gabriel's like, slow down. I mean, I trust you, Lord, but I need to see some evidence in their life. It's more than just the older people are watching you, there's the whole universe. And those who knew Satan never want to see that experiment with sin happen again. They want to know, will you choose this day whom you will serve? Or are you still waffling and trying to be a little bit of this world and trying to be this world and can't be just out of my haircut, can't decide my music, can't... Are you going to stand for Christ or not? Because heaven cannot afford to have anyone who's like, I don't know, I still want to be cool and I want to be this. No, 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 no. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let me close with this illustration. Uh, Are we anywhere close to closing time? Have I shot way past it? Oh, fantastic. Praise the Lord for small miracles. All right. Uh, A a preacher friend of mine uses this illustration I'm going to close with here. We started the whole beginning of this talk with it's, it's a powerful thing to start choosing who you're going to be, right? And it starts with your clothes, it starts with your music, it starts with your haircuts, it starts with your whatever. But bigger than those surface things, every single day you're choosing who you're going to be tomorrow. There's a sense of urgency all throughout the Bible. Choose you this day whom you will serve. In another place, today if you can hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. Behold, I stand at the door and knock right now today. Let me ask you a question. What difference does it make if you decide for Jesus today or tomorrow? I've heard that a hundred times. I'm glad, so glad you, you said it. You could die, right? <laughs> there is the potential, actuarially, it is possible for even young people to die. Now, my question is, is it likely that you will die tonight? Praise the Lord, no. I'm not saying it's impossible, right? But odds are, you're going to see tomorrow. Okay? So, you could start to rationalize to yourself, well, I've got some time, right? And you could think, well, the other one might be, well, Jesus could come any moment. And that's true. Just like you could die, Jesus could come, but there are some end-time events we know still to unfold, even though the last events will be rapid ones. He will come soon and very soon, but... You've already started living life. You're like, I've already been here for 12 years, 13 years, 14 years. Odds are I've got at least one more day, right? So odds are Jesus isn't going to come this afternoon. Odds are I'm not going to die this afternoon. In all honesty, I probably have a little bit more time to kind of sort out who I'm going to be. But there's this sense of urgency all throughout the Bible that's not connected with the moment of your death or connected to the second coming of Jesus. Apparently there's a sense of urgency about you making a decision for Christ completely separate from the second coming or your time of death. And here's how the rationale goes. Every decision you make for or against Christ now sets you one step closer to a direction in your life. Right? You start forming, by your choices, habits. Because if you do it once, you'll probably do it again and again and again and again. And by the time a habit is done enough, it becomes a lifestyle. And that lifestyle, if done long enough, becomes your character itself. It doesn't it just become what you do, it becomes who you are. And that character will determine your destiny. And young people, let me tell you, there is an absolute spiritual war for you right now. There is truth to the axiom that you're only young how often? Once. You've heard it all. And that's the excuse for doing bad stuff, right? Well, you're only young once, so get a tattoo, right? It's not going to look any good when you're older. you got to get it now. You know? or, or pierce something. Or, or go crazy. Try Move away. Run away from home. Drink. Smoke. Just, try, do all kinds of fill your head with garbage because you're only young once. Right? right? The implication being, well, that's okay for young people because no one expects anything from young people anyway. But when you're older, you have to settle down. Older, you have to be responsible. Older, you have to show up on time. Older, you have to dress better. But for right now, you live in this protected, fictitious bubble called youth where you can just be as crazy as you want to be. And we, and we just blanket all that together and say, well, you're only young once. There's truth in that statement. You are only young once. And Satan knows that nearly, nearly irrevocable decisions are made in your youth. Because if he can get you in the, to start making choices now, those choices as you keep going will become Habits. And those habits will become lifestyles. And the lifestyle will become your character and your character will determine your destiny. So he says, if I can get them started here, the odds are very great that I will get them all the way down here. And that's why I believe the Lord didn't say to Jeremiah, oh, never mind, I'll come back when you're older. He said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you right now to stand for me, to commit to me, to work for me, to forget about all those pressures. The, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't, don't, be, don't worry about the in crowd, the cool crowd, the popular crowd. You look at my face and you come wherever I tell you to go. Right, And if I'm calling you today, you come right now. Because if you turn away Jesus today, it will be easier to turn him away tomorrow, regardless of whether he comes back or whether you die, you start forming that habits and lifestyle and character that will eventually determine your destiny. So just as much as Satan knows the truth that you only are young once, God knows the same truth. You are only young once. This is the only day you've got, young people. The only day you've got that is today. Tomorrow's a different day, and let me tell you, you know how a did you know every, every 28 days you're, you're a whole new person, your skin is totally different? You know how a snake sheds its skin? And it's gross, you know, it slithers out of the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and there's, oh, that's an old snake behind, and there's that new snake. And you find evidence of the old snake, you're like, ew, you know? <laughs> You know, we're constantly shedding our skin all the time. It's imperceptible. It, it, wouldn't it be gross if we left like a whole figure of us? You know, the, that, that would be, we don't just change in a moment in a twinkling moment. When God comes back, we'll get a new body. And that's the only time. But our character is not formed in one big decision. Like, oh, I'm going to decide to be bad. <laughs> and out comes new bad me, right? It doesn't work that way. It's slowly, one little cell at a time, one little decision at a time, one little choice, one little opportunity passed up or accepted step by step, either closer to the kingdom of God or more solidified in this world. And I know that you've heard appeals like, make a decision because Jesus is coming soon and I believe he's coming soon. And yes, actuarially you could die. But that's not why you want to choose out of a sense of fear. Why don't you make your decision based on a sense of principle that I choose to be like Jesus? That I don't care about what in crowd there is. I don't care about the pressures. I don't care about those other people's faces. I only care about the face of Jesus. And I want to look at it confidently. And I want him to not be ashamed of me. And I don't want to be ashamed of him. Lord, I'm ready commit to you. I'm done with this place. I've set my eyes on a heavenly place. And Lord, I want to represent you in the world. Let me challenge you. Don't be like Jeremiah and say, no, 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 Lord, I can't commit to you. I'm too young. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Be able to stand up and say, I have made my decision for Jesus Christ, and yes, I'm young, and I know I'm only young once, and that's why I made it now. Because I don't want to wait 50 years and then decide to do something for the Lord. What if I gave him my all right now? And I started forming a character after his divine similitude right now. And what if, inst- what if those 50 years could be sa- saving other people, starting right now? I'm going to ask you a few questions and then we're going to be done. And I will make an appeal. I'm going to make an appeal. I want you to give, give your all to Jesus Christ. I want you to commit to Him. But I don't want it to be because I'm going to sing a beautiful song because I'm not. Okay? It's not going to be based on that. And I'm not going to tell a story where like a puppy dies or something. I don't want you to be like, oh, well, I have to. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do it based on fear. Like, you could die in your sleep, young people. Choose Jesus now. you like, oh. You know? I don't want you to make a decision based on those little spasmatic things. I want you to make a decision because you understand the truth of God's Word. You feel the call in your life to be for Him right now. And with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole soul, like, Lord, with a clear mind, without all emotions clouded up, I want to be for you right now. First of all, let me ask this layer of questions. Has the things that we've said today, have they made sense? Can you just raise your hand that it actually made sense? Oh, praise the Lord. I'm so afraid when I ask that question, like nobody will raise their hand like crickets. Nothing. (laughs) But you understood the words that I was saying, correct? You understood the ideas what I was trying to convey. You see in God's word that there's a higher ideal than just blending in with everybody else. That you, in your youth, can represent Christ in this world. Is that clear? Amen? So now I'm going to ask a question. There's going to be three layers. That was layer one that you actually understood. Layer number two, if you agree with what I said, you're not even necessarily committing to it, but you you understand it, number one, and you agree to it like, yes, that makes sense. I see what you're saying and I agree. I concur. Will you stand with me? Okay. Oh, praise the Lord. Not only do the vast majority of you understand, the vast majority of you agree with it. So now we come to our third and final thing. And again, there's no long appeal song. I'm not going to have a teary thing. I, I, I know that people need the Lord. You know that too, okay? But I just want to make this one final, one time. If in your youth, right now, at ASI 2012 in the early teen department, before you're an older teen, before you're collegiate, before you're young adult, before you're middle age, before you're old age, you want to say, in my youth, I want to choose to commit to Jesus Christ. And not just commit in some sort of nebulous, like, someday. uh, No, no, no. (laughs) Lord, I want to study your word more intently. I want to publicly affirm my faith in you, my complete surrender to you, in baptism. And I'm going to make the decision right now, here today. This call is not for everyone. If you don't want that, do not come down front. It's a very rare altar call where I ask people to stay back. But I'm serious. If you're not ready to make that commitment, don't fake it because everybody else is here. And if no one comes down front, don't feel bad for me. It's okay. I've made appeals where people haven't come and I've made appeals where they have. It's okay. I've got a job. No problem. But this isn't about any of that other stuff. But if you understand the message, if you agree with the message, The question is now, are you willing to commit to Christ in your youth? Lord, I want to commit. I'm ready to surrender all. I want to be yours. I want to be baptized into the body of Christ. Will you come down front? It's okay if there's nobody. But if there's even one, I want to give you that opportunity. Praise God. Is there even one more? We won't prolong it. We're not going to make it a miserable. But if that's your commitment, come on down. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to prolong it. Just one more time, one more call. Is there anyone else? Nobody's going to look down if you don't come, and nobody's going to look up to you if you do. This is between you and Christ in a public way. That's all it is. Is there anybody else who wants to say, Lord, I'm ready to commit, I'm ready to surrender. I want to be baptized. I want to commit. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you don't buy our excuses. That, Lord, I'm just young. Call on me later. Lord, help us to never settle for the low expectations that this world has on young people, but help us to understand that even in our youth, you are calling us to great things through your strength and your power. And Lord, for everyone in this room who said they understood the message, I praise you for that. Thank you so much. And for those who agreed with it, I thank you. But now, Lord, at this deeper level, for those who have decided to commit to today They want to start that walk with you. They want to commit to you. They're ready to surrender their lives. They want to be baptized and join the body of Christ, even in their youth. Lord, I want to give you all the thanks and all the praise. And Lord, I want to ask a special blessing on them. Please, Lord, do not let this be a flippant, emotional sidelight of a weekend. Lord, let this be a turning point in their life, a watershed moment where they will go back to their church, go back to their their teacher, their, their pastor, and say, I'm ready to make that commitment. Use me, because I know that the Lord is calling me. Lord, seal these commitments, not only in earth, but in heaven. And use these young people to reach other people. For you want to not waste our time. You want to use our time for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that, yes, your soon coming will be very soon indeed. But more than that, when you come, it is my prayer that not one here is missing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,